ago. And that's what just happened for me. I remember years ago, we had the opportunity and privilege of going down to Mobile to the uh, International Seamen's Center. That is a ministry that is um, done by the Mobile Baptist Association in, in Mobile Bay. And uh, what they do is when all of these people come from all over the world on cargo ships into Mobile Bay, they would take them when they got there to go and get supplies that they might need, clothes, whatever they need there in town. And then after they had done that, they would bring them back by the Seaman Center and they could call their families or whatever they need to do from the phone there. And um, then they just shared the gospel with them. And so we went down on a mission trip to do some work for the Seaman Center. And uh, man, the Lord was just doing a fantastic work there. We were staying Monday through Thursday. And we would do some work on the building and the grounds there. We built a fence and poured a sidewalk and just done some things that needed doing, um, you know, construction-wise around the place. But then at night, we would come back, and all of those guys who came off the ships, they would come in. we just get to share the gospel with them, preach to them. And uh, we had just an amazing time. The Lord blessed in a fantastic way. On that Monday night, the first night we were there, the, uh, that evening there were some guys who came in from uh, the Philippines. And they came into where probably about four or five of them, I guess. And, and we were able to share the gospel with them. And two of them accepted Christ as their personal Savior that night. And uh, the Lord just done a radical work in their life. And so the next day we were out working there on the grounds of the Seaman Center in that, on the building. And uh, Brother Joe, the missionary that was there, he came up to me and he said, I want to ask you something. Do you think you could go tonight to one of the ships? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the, one of the guys that were here last night, he went back to the ship and told his captain what had happened. And the captain wants you to come and, uh, and preach on the ship. And I said, well, can I preach on the ship? He said, I don't know, can you? And so <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> I said, I'll try if you'll let me. And so he said, yeah, we'll do it tonight. So we met back that night at about 6 o'clock, and we went over to the, uh, to the ship where they were there. And, man, it was something like I'd never seen before. I mean, I'm from Boar Tree Bottom, Alabama. I'm, I'm from right over here on 19. And so I'd never seen a ship that was three or four football fields long and probably two football fields wide. It was huge. And uh, we get up on that thing, and, and uh, we go back up top, walk, felt like a mile, back to the back of the ship, all the way up on the top of the control center. And they had a, a conference room in there. And I got in there, and there's about 35 guys in that, uh, in that room. And, um, and one of the men that came with us from the Seaman Center, he was leading worship, and that's the song that we sang that night, How Great Is Our God. And, uh, man, you talking about the power and presence of Jesus just falling upon that place. It, I, I don't really know how to explain it. It was just thick with the presence of God. It was amazing. And that night, 17 of those men gave their heart to Jesus. And uh, every, time, every time that I hear that song, that comes back to my memory. I've seen that night just how truly great our God is. And I've often wondered what happened with those guys when they left Mobile, when they got back to the Philippines, when they got back to Romania, someone from, from Romania. I've often thought maybe, maybe, just maybe, we sent some missionaries back to the Philippines um, from the Mobile Bay. And, and that just blesses my soul every time I think about it. I saw how great God was then, and I... Uh, saw how great God is today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter number 5, and I'm going to be preaching to you from starting in verse number 17. We're going to go a little bit further than 17, but uh, that's primarily going to be our text this morning. Now, I want to entitle my message today, The Struggle of the Saints. Now, I submit to you this morning that 
on the inside of every blood-bought, born-again saint of God, there is a struggle that's going on in us. I would tell you that from, listen to me folks, from the ceiling to the floor, from the altar to the door, from the pulpit to the pew, there's a struggle in every blood-bought, born-again believer. There's a war that is raging within us. And the Bible tells us that plainly right here in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 17. What kind of struggle am I talking about? Well, listen to what it says. Galatians 5, 17 says, For the flesh lusteth. Everybody say lusteth this morning. Now that word lusteth means to have a strong desire against. So the Bible is saying that this flesh that we, uh, this fleshly nature we have has a strong desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So, so the flesh has a strong desire against the spirit and the spirit has a strong desire against the flesh and they are contrary one to the other. They are battling against one another. There's a struggle that happens on the inside of the believer. There's a great tug of war between the spirit and the flesh for control of the Christian. Now listen to what he says here. These are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would do. As a believer, we know what we want to do We've got a desire to please God. Listen, as a believer, as someone who's truly been saved, listen, you know what you should do, but you can't do what you would or what you want simply because of this struggle that we find within ourselves from time to time. So this morning, I want us to look at the struggle of the saints, and uh, I'm going to pray for you, then we'll come back and look at more of this. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Lord, I am thankful this morning that you are great, that you can do all things. Lord, I realize and understand today I am nothing, and in my power I can do nothing effective for your kingdom. But I also believe what your word says. And your word says we can do all things through you, Christ Jesus. You tell us, Lord, that by your power all things are possible, that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. So Holy Spirit, I'm praying this morning that by your power working on me, working in me and working through me, that you would speak to hearts and change lives. And Lord, may we be different when we leave this place than we were when we came in this place. If there's one here who's truly never been born again, may today be the day of salvation. Lord, if there's one here that has been saved, but Father, they're backslidden and they're not where they need to be with you, would today be the day that they repent, Lord, and come to you for you are able to put them in right fellowship with yourself. Oh God, do your work in the hearts and lives of people, Lord. Break addictions, heal families, save souls. A lot of fire in your church that cannot be quenched by the power of the enemy. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name and for your sake. Amen. The struggle of the saints is the struggle between the two natures that dwell within us. According to Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 17, the believer has a fleshly nature and the believer has a spirit nature. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. Let's define our terms before we do anything. What do I mean by the flesh when, we, when I say fleshly nature? I'm not talking about the bone and the sinew and the muscle and the tissue that makes up your physical fleshly body. That's not what the Bible's saying here. The fleshly nature is that nature that gives you a predisposition to sin. A nature that causes you to want to do wrong when you know 
what is right. I remember when I was a little boy, well, I say a little boy, probably 12, 13 years old, I've told you the story of how my dad went and bought for me a 64 Ford Fairlane. That was my first car. And uh, I've always been a nut about old vehicles. And so at my, when I turned 13, he bought that for me. And we started working on it for the next three years, getting it ready for me to drive. And uh, when we went and picked that car up, it had been sitting in a barn for about 15 years. And so we drug that thing out of the barn, got it running good enough to get to the house. And on the way home, um, I was having to just do all I could do to keep that thing in between the lines. I mean, it was pulling real bad to the right. It didn't have a steering wheel. It had a wrestling rod. I mean, you just had to wrestle that thing into the lane that you wanted it to be in. It was pulling hard this way. Now, let me tell you why it was pulling hard that way. Because all of the steering components that were in the front end of that car had been bent in a certain direction over time. There was a bent to it that could not be taken out. And so I was just having to wrestle and do all I could to keep it wrangled in the road there and where I wanted to go. And that's the same way with us as believers. We have been born with a fleshly nature that is bent towards sin. That's why it's easier sometimes to tell a lie than it is to tell the truth. That's why it's easier sometimes to do what's wrong rather than you know to do what's right because we still have this fleshly nature even though we've been born again. But then the Bible says that we also have a spirit nature. And that spirit nature is the nature given by and through God the Holy Spirit that enables us to be what God has saved us to be. If you believe it, say amen. So we have these two natures, and the Bible says that they war against one another. Now, the second thing I want you to know about the two natures we have is the natures that we possess come by way of birth. Now, listen to me. I got my physical nature through my physical birth. Amen? You so you say, well, brother Israel, I guess it's then it's my daddy's fault that I was born into uh, for with a predisposition to sin. It's my daddy's fault that I was bent in this direction. Well, partly, but it's not all his fault. See, now listen, your daddy got his sinful nature from his daddy, your grandpa, and he got his sinful nature from his daddy, and he got his sinful nature from his daddy, and your great 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 grandpa got his sinful nature from his daddy, and it was passed down all the way from Adam. See, the Bible teaches that when Adam was in the Garden of Eden, that he chose to disobey God, and sin became a cancer that was passed down generation to generation to generation, all the way down to you and me, down to the, the, the newest baby that's just been born. So we have been born with that predisposition to sin, that sinful nature that caused us to be bent away from the things of God. Let me, let me prove it to you. Everybody get, take your Bibles and let's turn over to just a moment to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Let's look there just a moment at verse number 17. Adam takes, or excuse me, God takes Adam and puts him in a garden, blesses him with all his needs. And Adam in the garden, being free of sin, had a relationship and fellowship with holy God. Amen? 
And then God tells him something, Genesis 2, 17. He says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat. He said, Adam, you can have everything in this garden. All of, the, all of this that's in this garden, you can have freely. Just fill your belly full. But he says, one thing that you cannot have, you cannot take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, the moment you eat of it, watch what he says. For in the day that thou eat, thou shalt surely die. Everybody say die. Now listen to me. When Adam partook of the forbidden fruit that God said he couldn't have, how many of you know he didn't die physically right then? As a matter of fact, you go back and look in Scripture, you're going to see that Adam lived over 900 years past the garden. So he didn't die physically then. So what's God talking about? God's talking about the fact that when we, uh, listen, choose to sin, when we have a sinful nature, we are spiritually dead. How many of you know, at the moment God chose to, or Adam chose to disobey God, listen to me, he died spiritually right then then he could not have the relationship to God and fellowship with God. See, there's something you need to know about Adam because it affects us greatly. Adam was created in the image of God. If you believe it, say amen. Now, what does it mean that Adam was created in the image of God? It means that Adam was a triune being, just like God is a triune being. We know that God has revealed himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three one, all three God. If you believe it, say amen today. Now, us being created in God's image means that we are also created as triune beings. How many of you know we've got a physical body? We've got a soul, and Adam was created with a spirit. Now, let me tell you what we do with our physical body. It is with our physical body that we interact physically with mankind. Amen? It is with our soul that we interact emotionally with mankind. It is with our spirit that we have relationship and fellowship with God. Matter of fact, the Bible says, Jesus said, God is spirit. And if you're going to worship him, how are you going to worship him? In spirit and in truth. And so we interact with God. We have relationship and fellowship with God by the spirit. Now, when Adam sinned, he died spiritually. And as that sin nature was passed down to you and I, we were born spiritually dead. If you don't believe me, let's go to the Bible and look at it. Romans chapter 5. Let's look what the Bible says there. Verse number 12. I love this. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, For whereby as wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, watch this now, for all have sinned. So by the sin of one man, who's the one man? That's Papa Adam, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. By his one sin, sin passed upon all men, and death by sin. Physical death, yes. But I think more importantly, he's talking about the spiritual death that all of us have experienced because of our sinful nature. Listen to how Paul puts it in the book of Ephesians. Brother Scotty read this for us this morning. He was all over my message. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened. Now he's talking to the believer. He's talking to the blood-bought, born-again saints of God. And he says to them, You hath he quickened or made alive. Watch what he puts it. Who were dead. Everybody say dead. 
who were dead in trespasses and sins. He said, you once were spiritually dead, but now you have been quickened. You've been made alive so that you can have interaction with God. You can have relationship with God. You can have fellowship with God. You have been made spiritually alive, quickened by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you believe it, say amen today. Now, listen to me. Without you being made alive spiritually, you can't have relationship or fellowship with God. All you can do is live in the flesh. You receive the fleshly nature by your physical birth, but when you are born again into God's family, you receive that spirit nature. The Bible teaches that you are indwelled by the precious Holy Spirit. That you become the temple of Almighty God. Guess where God stays? He lives in me as a believer. And He lives in you as a believer. Can you say amen? How, did that, how is that possible? All because we placed our faith in Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we have been all baptized by one spirit into one body. Praise God. So now you've been made alive spiritually. You still had that old fleshly nature, but now you have a new spirit nature. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit lusteth against the flesh. So what are we going to do? How do we overcome? Do you want to please Jesus? I hope so. See, it's hard for me to believe that you've been made alive by the Spirit of God if you don't want to please Jesus. If you don't have a desire to serve Him, to please Him day by day, if you don't love God and love people, how can you say that you know the Lord? He gives us that desire to please Him in everything we do. Am I perfect in it? Absolutely not. But I have that desire continually within my heart to want to please Jesus and give Him all I've got for as long as I've got. How? By the Spirit of God that now lives in me? Praise the Lord. That didn't used to be there. Now I've got a desire to be in church. There was a time when, man, I, I want to tell you something. And during football season, you couldn't have drugged me away from a television when a good football game was on on a Sunday evening, Sunday morning, whenever it was. I love that. There ain't nothing wrong with football, but I'm going to tell you there's more important things than football. And God began to show me that after I got real with him. And now I desire to be in the manifest presence of God and the, under the preaching and teaching of the word of God more than anything else. Folks, I am desperate for God to move in my life and for God to move in our church. I have a desire to see God work like only God can work and God do what only God can do. How is that possible now? Simply because I've been made alive to the things of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. You can tell what people's alive to. Listen to how they talk. When somebody's really into sports and, man, they start talking about sports, they'll perk up, man, their eyes will get big and they'll start telling you all they know about sports. Let me tell you why there's life there. That does something for them. Let me ask you something. When you start talking about the good things of God, when you start talking about the Word of God, when you start talking about the doctrines of the Holy Scriptures, when you start talking about what, who Jesus is and what He's done, does your eyes light up? Do you, get, now listen, do you get excited deep down in your soul knowing there's life there? 
Paul says you've been made alive. Quickened. You who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now listen. How do we overcome this struggle, this civil war in us? I'm glad you asked. Go back to Galatians chapter 5. Watch. Paul tells us this morning, I'm going to give you three points very quickly. You hang with me. If you'll listen fast, I'll talk fast. and We'll be done in just a moment. The first thing that I want you to see, if you're going to have a spirit-controlled life, you've got to know the standard for the spirit-controlled life. Everybody take your Bibles. Look there in Galatians chapter 5, verse number 13. He says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Watch what he says. But by love... Serve one another. See, liberty means you've been set free in Jesus. But liberty does not mean you are free to do what you want to please the flesh. And so he says, your liberty should be used by measure in loving one another. Then he says in verse 14, he gives us the standard for love. Listen how he puts it. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What is the standard for the uh, uh, folks, the, 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 the love of God? It's the law of God. What's the standard for the spirit-controlled life? It is God's word. If you are going to live the spirit-controlled life, you have to be disciplined enough to adhere to the standard of what God has said. Can you say amen? For his words are life. His words... Bring us freedom. So the standard for the spirit-controlled life is the Word of God. Now, there are three stances that you and I can take concerning the law of God. See, some people see the law of God as their enemy. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. They, they, they think like this. Man, when you start preaching about living in holiness, walking in holiness and sanctification, what it means to adhere to the standard of Scripture, oh, now, wait a minute, Brother Israel. I don't, don't fence me in. Don't box me in too much. I want to do what I want to do. Remember, we have liberty in Jesus. Folks, I understand that. But again, your liberty is not a liberty to sin. Your liberty is a liberty from sin. And so you shouldn't, you or I, we shouldn't see the law of God, the word of God as our enemy. Now let, let, let me say something else to you. Some people see the, the law of God as their enemy. Some see, people see the law of God as their master. And they become legalistic about everything they do. Amen? I mean, God tells you a lot of things in his word that you should do and a lot of things that you shouldn't do. And have you ever felt like this? God said, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. So I'm not going to do this, 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 this right here. And, and you're struggling, doing everything you can, gritting your teeth and working hard and trying all you can do not to do all the things God said you shouldn't do. And it feels just like the more you struggle, the more you fail. It's almost like being in quicksand. What's the quickest way to sink in quicksand? To keep flailing around. Keep struggling. Listen to me, folks. People who have a legalistic mindset, they come up with their own set of do's and don'ts, their own little list. Don't wear this. Don't listen to this. 
Don't watch this movie. Don't eat that. Don't drink that. Don't do this over here. Don't do that over there. They come up with their own little list. It's got to be this way. And then usually what they want to do, they want to make you adhere to their list too. So now you've got to dress just like this if you're going to be godly. Now you've got to sing this kind of song if you want to be godly. I mean, it even gets to that. I had a brother tell me the other day, I just don't know about this new worship music. Why don't you know about it? I don't want to be legalistic either way. I don't want to say we can only do worship music. I don't want to say we can only do hymn music. Let me tell you what I want to do. I want to praise Jesus. I don't care if we're singing out of a hymn book and we're singing these new anointed worship songs. Songs that's been given by God. I don't care if we praise Jesus with a piano or an organ or a set of drums or a guitar or if you've got a saxophone, bring it. We'll praise him with that. I don't care what you got. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So I don't, I'm not going to be put in somebody's box. You can only do this. No. You're not my master. And I'm not your master. And the Spirit of God is there is liberty. So we can't become people who, who see the law as our enemy and we can't become people who see the law as our master. Listen, we, we need to see, see the law as our friend. Amen. See, when we see the law as our enemy, that's, uh, that, that's, uh, that, that, that's license. That's us giving ourselves a license. Just do what we want to do when we want to do it. Regardless of what God has said. Amen. So then you have people say, well, you know, I, this may not be right, but uh, hey, I'm, I'm free in Jesus. Well, you're not free to displease Jesus. You're free to please Jesus. Amen. And, and we shouldn't be the people who seize the law as our master because that becomes legalism. We, we should be people who see the law as our friend. See, that's liberty. Amen. When we see that the, the, the outline of Scripture that God has given us, the standard of Scripture, is not for our bad, but for our good. And true freedom can only be known, listen to me now, when you are disciplined to a standard. If not, that, and that works for everything, whether you're talking about government or you're talking about your Christian walk. In government, if you don't have a standard, if you're not disciplined to that standard, then you're going to have anarchy. In the Christian life, if you are not disciplined to a standard, that is not freedom, folks. That is what we're fixing to see in a moment, lasciviousness. It's just you doing what you want to do when you want to do it, living in sensuality, living to what pleases your five senses. Amen. But as a man of God, who's been born again into, by the Spirit of God, who has been indwelled by the person of God and the person of the Holy Spirit, I realize God's word is my friend. And it's through the word of God that I can truly understand the liberty that God has purchased for me through the cross. So let's look at this. We see the standard for the spirit-controlled life. I want you to see the strength also of the spirit-controlled life. Look at verse number 16 just a moment. For this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
So the Apostle Paul says here that having a spirit-controlled life is just like walking. Amen? Now there's three things you need to know about this walk. First of all, I want you to know there has to be a beginning to the walk. There has to be a commencement. The commencement of the walk is you taking the first step. Let's just say I'm going to walk from here to Tupelo, Mississippi, and it's going to take me, I don't know, 15,000 steps. How many know that journey of 15,000 steps or however many steps it's going to take? It all starts with the first one. Your journey with Jesus in your Christian life starts with the first step of you commencing to walk in the Spirit. The, the Bible says, Ephesians 5.18, brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. What does that look like? Well, he gives us a, a perfect example, a perfect illustration here. He says in, in Ephesians 5, verse number 18, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So what's he telling us there? He said, how many of you know, folks, if a man's going to get drunk, it starts with one drink. Would you agree? And as it starts with that one drink, and you continually to drink that wine, before long, listen, that wine starts drinking you. <laughs> See, you put it in you, and then it starts controlling who you are, and what you do. And so he's making the comparison here. He says, just like someone gets drunk with the wine, we ought to be partakers of the Spirit. Allow God to fill us up with His power, with His presence, as we relinquish our will to His will. And then when we do that, listen to me, folks, He begins to control our lives and everything that we do. It starts with that Attitude, that mindset that from here on I'm taking the first step. I'm going to be spirit led. I want God to fill me up and take control of my life in every way. I'm going to relinquish my will to God's will. So there is a commencement of the walk, but let me tell you something else. There's also a circumference of the walk. Now what do I mean by that? If I tell you to walk in the circumference of this building, what do I mean? Don't get to outside of this building. Right? Now, the Bible says that we are not to walk with the Spirit, but we are to walk in the Spirit. So the circumference of my walk as a believer is, that, listen, I am to walk in the Spirit. And as I'm walking in the Spirit, putting one step in front of the other, I rely upon Him to lead the way. That means daily, man, when I get up and I, before I leave my house, I try to do this every day. Before I, I, some days I miss it and I need God's grace just like everybody else. But every morning before, while I'm still laying on my back in my bed, I, I just tell the Lord, Lord, this is your day. Holy Spirit, have your way and your will in me. Work on me, work in me, work through me. Fill me up and pour me out in the lives that I'm going to be in contact with today. You know what I want God to do? I want God to work on me, work in me, and work through me in such a way that when I walk into my workplace, place that people see such a difference in me they're going to want what I've got I want people to see me loving Jesus and loving people I want people to see me standing for the standard of what God has said amen that happens when we make that decision to take that first step and then just keep walking 
keep following as he leads. We need to see the commencement of the walk. We need to see the circumference of the walk. We don't walk with the Spirit, but folks, we certainly do walk in the Spirit. But let, let me say something else. You also, go, go, just take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Colossians just a moment. Let me read to you a verse before we get into this. Colossians chapter 2. And look down at verse number 6. We need to see that there needs to be a continuance of the walk. You continue the walk in the Spirit just like you begin the walk in the Spirit. Watch how the Bible puts it. Man, this is paramount to the Christian life. Listen to what it says here, verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him. You don't know what it, what it means to walk in the Spirit? You walk in the Spirit just like you receive Christ. How did you receive Christ? You receive Christ through repentance and faith. Isn't that right? How do I continually walk with the Lord? Repentance and faith. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. I repented when I got saved, but I've done a whole lot more repenting after I got saved than when I got saved. I have to repent every day, turn from my sin, and turn toward Christ. Daily, I have to put my faith in Jesus to do for me and in me and through me what only he can do. I walk by faith and not by sight. So just like Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, we are to continue walking in the Spirit just like we started walking in the Spirit through repentance and faith. Now, we've seen the standard of the Spirit-filled life. That's the Word of God. We, we've seen the strength of the Spirit-filled life. It's when we choose to relinquish our will to God's will and we walk in the Spirit daily. But I also this morning want you to see the satisfaction of the Spirit-filled life. And there's great satisfaction. Galatians chapter 5. And look down at Verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Everybody say amen. And joy. Say amen. <laughs> and peace. And long-suffering. And gentleness. And goodness. And faith. And meekness. And temperance. Against such, there is no law. What is the satisfaction of the Spirit? It's having a life where the fruit of the Spirit is evident for the benefit of yourself and for everyone else to see. It's the Christ-centered life. You see, folks, fruit is nothing more than the life of the vine being pressed out through the branch. Jesus is the vine. We are the branch. So as his life is pressed out through us, 
Not only would it make a difference for me individually, but it's going to make a difference for everybody around me. How would it be if a father started walking in love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and, and temperance and, and all these things that we, we see here? How would it be if a mama started doing that? How would it be if we as children of God were walking by the power of God with the fruit of the Holy Spirit evident in our lives? How would that change people around us? How would that really make a difference? How would it make a difference in your marriage? How would it make a difference at your workplace? You're talking about the satisfied life. The satisfied life is the spirit-led life. You want to talk about freedom? Freedom comes by the Spirit of God. What the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. So let me ask you this. Have you been made alive to the things of God, first and foremost? That's the first thing. Do you know that you know that you've been born again? And when you were born again, listen to me now, that's when you become alive spiritually. Until then, all you can do is operate in the flesh. So, like I said before, that new nature comes by the new birth. Has that happened in your life? And if it has happened, you know you've been born again. Child of God, are you where you need to be with the Lord? Are you walking in the Spirit and allowing Him to lead God and direct you every day as you relinquish your will to His? Are you adhering to the standard of the Spirit-controlled life? Are you uh, taking advantage of the strength of the Spirit-controlled life? Listen to me, folks. Are you satisfied in the Spirit-controlled life? If not, you can be. You can be. Be about the business of the Lord. Confess the sin that you know you've committed before Him and the Bible says He'll forgive you as His child. This morning, if you need Jesus, these altars are always open. Everybody stand together. is your invitation you'll be closing these services I don't know what God spoke to your heart today but I'm asking you to again relinquish your will to his for whatever you need if you need to be saved today's a day of salvation the same God who has saved me can and will save you if you are a child of God you just know you're not where you need to be today is a day that you relinquish your will to his will and you start walking by the spirit Dying to the flesh. Don't wait this morning. You want to come pray for a lost loved one? These altars are always open. You want me to pray with you? I'll be glad to pray with you. It'd be my honor to pray with you as your pastor. Whatever you need today, be submissive to the will of God. Don't quench the spirit. Don't hinder what God's trying to do in this time. You quench the spirit by not being submissive to him. So I'm asking you, whatever God spoke to your heart, 
get real with the Lord today. He'll get real with you. Know him more. I want to follow him more. I want to be spirit-led in all I do. I want God to work on me, work in me, and work through me for his honor and glory. I want God to use me to impact the lives of others. If that's you today, raise your hand. Slip your hand up. Praise God. Let me pray for you. Father God, I just want to thank you, Lord, for these ones who have raised their hand this morning. They have a desire to follow you, to be used of you, to be spirit-led in all they do. Holy Spirit, fill them up, pour them out, use them for your honor and your glory. Open doors that only you can open. And Father, I pray that you would right now build a hedge of protection around them so that the enemy cannot come their way. But Lord, light a fire in their heart that cannot be quenched and may it spread to everybody around them in their life. In Jesus' name we do pray pray and for your sake amen if you're here this morning and you say brother Israel I've not yet been born again but I want you to pray for me I'm not I would never embarrass you I would never call that's not what this is for I just want to pray for you if that's you slip your hand up great I see those hands let's pray together father we love you Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing for us what only you can do. And I pray right now that you draw those who need you unto yourself. Oh, Holy Spirit, make them know the need they have deep down on the inside, just like you did for me. Convict their hearts, for we know no man comes to the Lord Jesus unless the Father draws him. So, Holy Spirit, God the Father, draw these ones unto yourself and do the work that only you are capable of. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. And for your sake, amen. Have you enjoyed being in the house of God? Amen. Go tell somebody how good Jesus is today. Listen, remember this week. Let's continue the walk. One step in front of the other. We continue the walk just like we started the walk. Repentance and faith daily. Turning from ourselves, turning from our sin, turning to Jesus. And listen, believing He is able help us be what he saved us to be make a difference in somebody's life this week show the love of Jesus that's been shown to you and may God be glorified in all we do and say amen you're dismissed